Hello, and welcome to the next episode of Situation Awareness and Your Safety. I'm Brian Searcy, your host, the founder and president of the Paradis Group, and I'm extremely excited today to have Kathy Martinez Prather with us. She is the director of the Texas School Safety Center down at Texas State University. I had the opportunity to sit down with her a couple years ago when I was doing a lot of personal skill development. And even after that, when I started doing some things with safety and security, she was gracious and invited me down to one of their board meetings. And that was very, very eye-opening. So thank you for that. And it was right after that that you really started taking on, on a big role after Senate Bill 11 and a few other things. And we'll get that into a second. But Kathy, welcome to the podcast today. Thank you, uh, Brian. Good afternoon. Thanks for having me. Again, my name is is Kathy Martinez-Prather. I'm the director of the the Texas School Safety Center here at Texas State University. Just a little bit about the center. The center was created in 1999 after the Columbine School shooting and shortly thereafter tasked in state legislation to serve as the central clearinghouse for school safety in the dissemination of training, technical assistance, and research for K-12 schools. Charter schools have just recently been brought into the fold and junior community colleges. I've had the honor of serving as the director for now five years, but I've been with the center for a little over 12 years. Actually started out as a, a graduate research assistant with the center and was brought on to assist with a large legislative mandate that was put into place at that time in 2007, which was actually the statewide data collection of school safety and security audit data for all school districts here in Texas. Then moved on to to oversee our research division prior to becoming the director. My educational background is in criminal justice. I've been working with public schools primarily for the last 12 years in developing tools and guidance for educators and school-based law enforcement to improve the safety and security in our state. And our mission here at the center is to serve schools and communities to create safe, secure, and and healthy environments. And, you know, that's a mission that that I take to heart, that our staff take to heart. And a lot of the work that has been done to to really make that a critical part of the educational agenda. Well, that's... It's quite the mission that the Texas School Safety Center has, and I briefly mentioned Senate Bill 11, and I think as I've seen the work that you've done since Columbine, and we've seen the work that's been done since 2019 after the Santa Fe shooting, I don't want to say it's light years ahead, but it's been greatly accelerated, and we're, we've kind of gotten out of the mode of doing the same thing over and over again, which is Einstein's definition of insanity, and you guys are making great strides. So can you tell us a little bit about what the catalyst was for Senate Bill 11, what it was, and, and how that's really focused and directed what the center's doing? Sure, sure, absolutely. Kind of want to back up here and just, you know, sort of emphasize that, you know, school safety, it's a shared responsibility. It's very multidisciplinary. It involves teachers, school counselors, principals, superintendents, school board members, law enforcement, parents, students, policymakers, the entire community. You know, I remember being in high school when the Columbine school shooting occurred and just being in shock that something like that could happen in a school. And it certainly was not the first school shooting that our country experienced, but it was a pivotal event that began the start of not just the center here in Texas, but the start of many school safety-related initiatives, best practices, and, and policies in our state and across the country. And as you've said, in Texas, in the, just in the last almost 20 years, the effort to enhance the safety and security posture of our schools has certainly evolved, generally reactivated by tragic events that occur, whether man-made or, or natural disasters. 
with some of the most significant school safety legislation occurring in 2019 following the Santa Fe high school shooting in our state. And, you know, at that point, you know, Texas was very progressive in in making school safety a priority. They recognized that back in 1999, knowing that schools needed to have a central resource to go to, because as you know, school safety is an umbrella for a variety of things that school districts deal with. But we often tend to go to these mass shootings that occur in school. And it's usually what we we think of, but you name it, schools deal with it every single day. And so I think that, you know, the Santa Fe high school shooting, extremely tragic event, really sort of started this discussion about what can we do more to augment what we've already done. Knowing that we can't really prevent these things from happening 100% of the time, but we can certainly do a lot to prevent them the majority of the time and mitigate the catastrophic impact that they have when they do occur. And so I think what came out of that session and, and, and this pretty comprehensive legislation that, that we know as SB 11 was really this understanding that, you know, school safety is a shared responsibility. It's multidisciplinary and it really does involve a huge statewide effort from various agencies, various level of school folks involved in this. And of course, students have a big part to play in keeping their schools safe. And so one of the things that I said, you know, was a top priority this last session, really focusing on prevention. That was a huge part of the discussion. Some of these new provisions included the establishment of behavioral threat assessment teams in schools. And that's not a new concept. It's been around for almost 20 years, but it was definitely huge for our state to require that for districts to have. Um, We've also now have the actual review and verification of multi-hazard emergency operation plans for schools. Now, schools were required to do that already, but now, in a sense, there's a little bit more oversight. Now, those plans are being reviewed by the center, really with this idea of getting schools where they need to be on that school safety continuum to success. Schools are now required to do drills. That was always a recommended best practice, but now we have very specific types of drills, frequency of when they should be done. And I think most importantly, the promotion of mental health supports in schools was a big part of that conversation. When I started working in this field of school safety, never thought I would be involved in this type of work. That dialogue around mental health, it wasn't really integrated into this discussion as it is today. And it it should have been all along. I think we all were late to realize that. But with mental health and we have the social and emotional well-being of our students and school staff, that's really now recognized as part of the lexicon of school safety, right? And it helps everyone to, I think, understand the multidisciplinary nature of the work that is involved in, in what we do every day and what our educators do every day. And so the other challenge that there's always a challenge of being brought (laughs) into this is now we have to overlay all these safety considerations amid a global pandemic. That creates another challenge for school districts who are trying to figure out how to provide a quality education to our students. Well, that is great. I loved how you talked about it's a shared experience because the school districts that the Prodigy Group works with, that's one of the key things that we focus on, that prevention is the ultimate goal. But then as you establish that and the, you use the multi-hazard operational plans that you all have developed and the annexes, that's how they stay current. 
I often talk about General Eisenhower, who said that plans are basically worthless if you don't have continuous planning. So it's the combination of those two things and knowing how to be able to execute a plan and practice the execution of that plan and thinking through all the types of critical decisions that you might have to make. That's how you truly prepare yourself to deal with something not just having that plan on the shelf. And I think when I was talking about how it's kind of light years ahead, from my perspective, that's what I'm seeing is the school districts now, because of this plan that you've put out, and then I kind of describe it, the annexes are the meat and potatoes. That's the real, how you're going to deal with the different things that come up. And oh, by the way, who thought eight months ago that you were going to have an annex on contagious diseases, right? So, (laughs) but that's what I'm starting to see is they're starting to realize, okay, my people don't necessarily have the NIMS training that they have. They don't know what an ICS is. All these things are now in the plans that were just sitting on the shelf. And because you're now asking them to be prepared to practice these, now they're starting to see, okay, this has got to be a way of life. And it's got to go all the way from prevention to being prepared to respond. And recover and get back to a sense of normalcy. And so, you know, this pandemic has gone on longer than what any of us ever thought it would. And so our educators are experiencing a lot of fatigue right now with everything else that they have on on their plates. And so really trying to, you know, narrow in and focus in what can we do to help them get to where they need to be now. We, we took a step back. You know, the center was was always a, a central location, a resource. We're a research center here at Texas State University. And so essentially what that means is that, you know, everything that we provide guidance on, training, is, is informed by best practices, promising practices out there in this field. And so... You know, it's very critical that we we get it right when we're we're assisting schools. And so we were charged, sort of put into a maybe a, a compliance agency, if you will, when we were required now to review and actually verify all of K-12. I mean, we have over a thousand school districts in Texas, their emergency operation plans. You know, on top of that, charter schools and, and junior public community colleges. And so, you know, what we've been doing for the last probably eight months now is sort of taking a step back, doing a 10,000 foot overview is what we've been calling it to get our thumb on the pulse of where is our state, our schools in terms of, you know, the plans that they're putting together to really inform our more in-depth reviews, if you will, in our next review cycle. And then we started this process, then the pandemic hit and we knew that you know, schools were eventually going to get to a point where they were going to be up and running again. And we decided to focus on, you know, reviewing those, one, a communicable disease annex, <laughs> and that was high priority. And then their <laughs> continuity of operation plans right. uh, moving forward. And so we've had a lot of, of success in working with school districts across the state to get those annexes where they need to be. And it's been a huge eye opener, you know, One of the, or two of the things that have always been a challenge for school districts is developing those plans collaboratively with outside partners and not just siloed in the school district, knowing that you need to work with your local law enforcement, local county emergency managers, and and making sure that all of these things sync up and align with your community response that's going to be going on. And school districts, I think, struggle with that. Uh, oftentimes. And so we're trying to get them to think about that. And then also developing your plan to your specific threats, hazards, and vulnerabilities. And that is a big gap we've seen is that most plans are not 
thought of in that way. And so West Texas school districts are going to probably be dealing with some different things than you would with our coastal cities who have to deal with hurricanes, you know? And so Midland Odessa should not probably have a, you know, a hurricane annex very specific to that. Right. And so just sort of thinking through those things and having those conversations and then practicing to that plan and all of the 20 different scenarios that could happen. You can have the best plan in the world and the day of something's going to throw a kink in it. And so just, you know, the drilling aspect is extremely important too. And uh, we've been getting so many questions, you know, how do we do drills right now and maintain physical distancing and all of those other things. And, you know, there are some things that have to be compromised to ensure, you know, health and safety, but in the event of a real incident, all that goes out the window clearly, right? You're not going to be focused on physical distancing if you have an active threat. And so, so really kind of talk to school districts about these types of things and how to, how to make those adjustments, but not forgetting that, you know, those are important things that we still need to be doing. And then how do you integrate students who are at home who aren't in the classroom? How do we make sure that they are still up to date on, you know, what are those protocols going to be when you do come back to campus? Because we will get to that point one day. Absolutely. It's interesting. The clients we have, the, the product group has, where we actually will go in and, and help them with drills and do some active shooter type drills and those types of things. We spent about two days putting together a number of videos that we then use. So while they get to see and maybe kind of get an understanding of what they might be put through in those situations, it's, and we've had people that are new this year compared to the training we did last year. And they've said, yeah, it's good, but it's not the same. We don't feel the same stress. We didn't, we weren't put in a position to have to make critical decisions. So you're right. It's a, you know, struggle right now to get them to understand that these threats are still out there. So now one of the things that I think is also coming out of the fact that you are are reviewing all the multi-hazard plans because you are looking for best practices. That gives you the ability to take great things that maybe you, are, you haven't thought of from across the state and then get it back out to everybody. Are, are you seeing that that is a great opportunity to get best practices out there? Absolutely. Best practices identify where the gaps are too with schools. As I mentioned before, we're seeing kind of the opposite of what we thought we would see. A lot of our our rural school districts, you know, have, I think they've had to work harder to make sure that they have that collaboration and consideration of all the, because they don't have as many resources, right? Right. And so we've found have plans that are probably a little bit more comprehensive, if you will. And the majority of our school districts here in Texas are rural. That was sort of surprising to see. I think we've probably seen more variation across the EOPs in the state and how they're put together, despite the fact that, you know, we do have sample templates of how they should look. But, you know, we want school districts to be able to have that local flexibility to be able to to modify those to their needs. It's been really interesting to see that school districts want to do the right thing. They want to get this right. And so we knew going into this that we were going to probably see a lot of gaps in the process and knowing that it's going to take us a while as a state, as large as ours, diverse as ours to get to where we need to be. And so that's something we really want to educate, you know, our state leaders on is that, you know, we're going to be most effective if we 
approach this process of compliance through education and really, you know, how do we get our school districts to where they need to be? Because every single plan is going to look different. It's just going to look different. So making sure that it looks the best that it can be in that most appropriate context for our schools out in Marfa, Texas, compared to, you know, Houston ISD. And so anytime we're thinking of, you know, best practices for school districts, it's really important that they're scalable across the board. I never want to recommend a school district do something if I knew that our our rural districts couldn't do it because of lack of resources. But I think it's it's certainly been educational for us. We had expected to see what we're seeing through this review process, for the most part, in terms of the variation across the state. But it's been interesting to see the great job that our rural school districts are doing in this effort. And it, as to your point, it is a challenge for them. I've helped a number of them put together some of their annexes and EOPs. And, you know, the template has this huge staff that is going to respond to an event when it happens. And they say, well, we maybe have three people, you know, so they, those are the types of questions I get where they say, you know, we can't do what this template has. So to your point, they are all going to look different. Got to put it together so that it's designed for them to succeed based on what their capabilities are to respond. And, the other thing I get all the time is, should I have this program or this program? They're out in a rural area. It may be a 15-minute response for the first responders to get there versus here in, in where I am in North Texas or where you are in Austin. It may be minutes where they get there. So that all changes how they put that plan together as well. The other thing that, you know, it's all a part of the emergency response and the planning, which is I go back to the prevention mitigation side of it all and very specific to this threat assessment process. You know, in the very beginning, we had a lot of schools that, you know, were like, do we need to continue the interventions that we had in place? Do we even do behavioral threat assessment because students aren't in the class anymore? And so our answer to that was, yes, those things still should be happening. Now you have to think about it differently in a virtual classroom how you're going to be monitoring behavior and and things like that. And, and I think one of the things that we we know is schools are, they're learning this as they move along and that we have to grant some grace with that, right? And, and they're getting better and they're learning on how to do these things. And so it's so important as we're eight or nine months into this, it feels like it's been a very long time though. Right, right. <laughs> that we need to be worried about the second crisis to come. And I don't mean to be dramatic about that, but you know, we have students who have not had regular contact with their school, the routines are out, you know, stress at home going on. And so we're starting to see a lot of suicide ideation. And, you know, we're wanting uh, school districts to be, you know, hyper aware of that, you know, it, the onset of that is, is starting to occur and being ready for, for students who are in crisis when they do come back to school, we're probably going to have even more potential threats as a result of what's going on right now and the impact, the mental health of folks as a result of this pandemic. And so, you know, I, I think that it's something we're really trying to make sure that schools keep at the forefront of course, along with everything else that they're, they have on their plate, but this is a really important piece. And so it's just trying to find the right balance. We want to keep our students healthy and we want to keep them safe and secure. 
whether they're in the classroom or whether they're at home as well. Just kind of want to add a couple things. You know, we was just on a, a call earlier today and, and, and conversation was about how do we provide more guidance to schools who are experiencing students who are making outcries and, 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 you know, mandatory reporting and, and in talking to some school districts earlier, this, it seems that there's been about a 75% to 80% decline in reports of abuse. That does not mean that educators are failing to report. It's just they're they're not there. They're not seeing what's going on as if it was pre-COVID. And so we know there's a lot of dark things happening right now. And so how do we think about, you know, having or educating our, our schools and parents and students to become more connected during this time where we feel we're not as connected as we used to be. So knowing that this situation that we're in right now is probably going to be going on for a little while. You know, how do we continue to monitor and and be more proactive to some of the things that we may be hearing from our students who are in very high stress home situations right now? Well, I love to hear that you're talking about all those second and third order effects, because that's one of the things we we talk about all the time in the research that we've done. And I'm sure you've done the same thing. Divorce is on the rise. Drug and alcohol abuse is on the rise. People, because they're stressed and anxious, are driving to that. We believe domestic violence, like you said, has not gone down. It may have actually gone up, but we're not seeing it. So all of those second, third order effects, which just makes it even more of a challenge for educators and those in that line of work to, how do I see that? And then how do I do something about it? Because that's always a struggle. And But just to be maintaining those conversations, I think, is great. And then the other thing that we saw early on in the pandemic was you know, school districts trying to figure out how do I continue getting meals to students, for example, or how do I get homework to students, for example? And they started forgetting all about safety and security because they were so busy trying to solve the pandemic issues. And that's where we focused with them with our micro e-learning platform that they have throughout the year where they're getting just situation awareness updates every single week so that we were able to continually remind them, hey, don't forget about this. Don't focus so much on this that you're not paying attention to potential threats that can be out there. Absolutely. The social work aspect has definitely increased in addition to the, you know, just the continuity of education. And I think that, you know, it's a bit overwhelming for educators right now. You know, what do you do in a situation where you're instructing and you see older brother physically assaulting little brother and mom and dad in a huge argument? And how do you avoid a trauma being experienced by other students in the classroom who are witnessing that. So really trying to figure out, you know, what, how do you manage that classroom, whether it's, you know, uh, we heard from, from one uh, district in Colorado, they've got, you know, signs they put up, leave the room right now. And whoever the, the student, if it's something going on in their home, stay online with us. And so, you know, when you involve law enforcement into this. And so one of the things that we've, we've discussed and have seen, it's not just in Texas, but I think across the country is that, you know, how do we utilize our, our law enforcement, our, our school-based law enforcement officers to, to help in, in this effort with doing welfare checks? We know that many of our school districts that contract with our law enforcement officers, whether through municipalities or sheriff's office, that when schools closed, they were automatically brought back to street patrol. 
And so that was very hard for many school districts who, you know, needed their assistance to assist with things that were going on on campus. And so we've been educating school districts to really get ahead of that and really establishing in those MOUs that during times like this, you will still need those officers to to help out with these situations. And of course that, you know, what that looks like will need to be discussed at the local level, but we did see a lot of our officers be pulled back to patrol and did not have a presence in our schools. Well, Kathy, I'm going to throw out, is there anything else that you'd like to add? Because I think this has been an, an excellent conversation and I've been so excited to have you on today. Is there anything else that you'd like to close with or add or close with? You know, I just, I, I, I think our schools have a lot on their plate and I know that they're doing everything that they can to ensure quality education for our students and are also doing everything they can to mitigate the spread of this virus. And on top of that, are doing everything they can to ensure the safety and security of their campuses. And so our job here at the center and your job is to continue to help support schools in those efforts. And I know that our schools are doing everything they can to keep our schools safe. Well, Kathy, thank you again for taking time out today to be on the Situation Awareness and Your Safety podcast. Again, I've been I was introduced to you a few years ago, and I've been following what the Texas School Safety Center is doing. And like I said, I'm actually executing a lot of the things that the, with a number of school districts that the Texas School Safety Center has. And, and I'm seeing firsthand how seriously you all are taking this and all the great work that you're doing. And I should also add, it's not just the plans. You have all kinds of training that is available. You've done COVID-19 videos. You guys are out in front to help all of the the administrators, the teachers, and the staff across all the great schools in the state of Texas. So, again, thanks for being on this podcast, and I look forward to talking to you again soon. Thank you, Brian. Thanks. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.